0: Guten Morgen America! Thanks for
1: 173k. Same spark that created everything in the universe. That divine energy is in every single atom in their body. Which means that the power that's out there is the same power inside of them. So what they should be doing is understanding that instead of praying from a position of begging, hoping, and wishing, and trying to cast that kind of spell, because believe in me, they're trying to cast a spell when they pray. When you're praying, you're trying to speak words that are going to alter your future reality in the third dimension, then you're trying to cast a spell. No matter what, No matter what religion it is, you're trying to cast a spell. But the spell casting, they don't know what they're doing. That's why they don't work. You have to talk from a position of power. Speaking things into existence. Believing the end before the end. Same spark that created everything in the universe. That divine energy is in every single atom in their body. Which means... That the power that's out there is...
2: But if you really want to know what tier Donald Trump is in, let's look at an actual fraud. The problem with John Stewart. He, guilty of. he used his own charitable foundation like a piggyback, or as it's sometimes known, embezzlement. Shocking pattern of
3: illegality, including unlawful coordination with the Trump presidential campaign, repeated and willful self-dealing, and much more. He's... Stole
2: from his own charitable foundation. How much more could, what did he also, nut punch a priest? Like, how are non-Trumps punished for something like that? Well, Some get two years in jail. Some get five years in jail. Some get ten years in jail for stealing from charitable donations. But if you really want to know what tier Donald Trump is in, let's look at an actual fraud we know he was guilty of.
0: I'm going to share this on on Twitter. John Stewart
4: points
5: out there is that giant pyramid that was built before the Saqqara pyramid in Egypt. You guys can see the height of each level of the step to pyramid. And uh, it's at least 10 feet tall. And there are at least five or six level, guys. I hope you can see uh, all the various levels of this pyramid. But I think that there are more levels hidden. OK? bricks. For example, look here. So you can see that more levels are hidden there locals call this Beam Gada or Ki gada which means a blunt mace or the club which is a weapon of a giant called bima there is huh. that giant pyramid that was built
1: before the reason why people get so angry and offended and pissed off and afraid when you bring up the types of topics that we're talking about today is because, like I say all the time, when they were born, they were given a name, a race, and a religion, and now they've been defending a false identity since they've been born. And now, all of a sudden, when I I show up on the scene, and I'm ripping that false identity away from them, I'm snatching it from their soul. And that hurts them, because every single cell in their body is vibrating and resonating to that programming code that they've been given since birth. And now it feels alone, it feels naked. They feel exposed. And especially the older they are, the worse it is because now they realize, oh my God, 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years, this information might be invalid. This information that I believe in so dogmatically that I've held so close to my heart all these decades might not even be close to the truth. And now what? No, no, no. The reason why people get so angry and offended and pissed off and afraid when you bring up the types of topics that we're talking about today is because like the reptilians cause a crisis that's their
4: pattern they create a crisis and then they come in and say that's terrible how did that happen as if they don't know they were the ones who did it in the first place but they don't tell the people and then they say well we can take care of it for you but sign here now the reason they do that is there's another group it's very active in the solar system, that we call the Galactic Federation of Worlds, which is very positively oriented. So if Americans sign an agreement Ladies. with free will, allowing reptilians to have a large underground city presence under, for example, Area 51, which we did a huge study on, Area 51, the Galactic Federation of Worlds will say, they did it themselves, we can't interfere, we can't interfere with their free will. So, the Rutillians are very careful about not inviting intervention with the Galactic Federation of Worlds. The reptilians cause a crisis. That's their pattern. They create a crisis. And then they come in and say, that's terrible. How did that happen? As if they don't know. They were the ones who did it in the first place. But they don't tell the people. And then they say, well, we can take care of it for you, but sign here. Now, the reason this they is do Gaia. that is there's another group that's very active in the solar system, that we call the Galactic Federation of Worlds, which is very positively oriented, so if Americans sign an agreement with free will, allowing reptilians to
0: Um, Deep Space, the Reptilians, Deep Space, I can watch this, I can go to... uh... Deep Space, the Reptilians. I have Gaia. Everybody go get Gaia. It's $12 a month? fantastic. Let's learn about the Reptilians because I think Trump is a Reptilian. I think any neo-Nazi kind of person is fucking Reptilian. Okay. There we go, the Reptilians.
3: Throughout history, Religious traditions around the world describe reptile-like beings who have influenced humankind. Etched into stone on ancient Egyptian megaliths, to verses written in the Bible.
6: What are you guys doing, huh?
3: Reptilian entities interacting with humans are clearly depicted. Could these historic accounts
6: be describing a
3: race of reptilian extraterrestrials? If so, what do we know about these beings? And more importantly, is their influence still with us today?
7: Yeah. The first depiction we have dominate. of reptilian-like or serpent-headed-like being comes from the ancient Sumerian civilization. It existed well over 12,000 years ago. And what we find is, in nearby the Eridu, there was an area known as the Ubaid civilization, which was a branch of the Sumerians. And in the 1800s, they discovered a statue that depicted a serpent-like head on a being. And that was the first depiction we had that some speculated traced back to a reptilian-like root to the origins of these gods of ancient Mesopotamia and Sumer. And many have speculated that that was part of our early origin story, or even some kind of a system of control with how these kings and bloodlines seemed to disseminate
8: down into those cultures. Going back to ancient Near Eastern documents, both biblical documents as well as the Eblah texts that were found in Syria, going back even a thousand years plus before the biblical record. Of course, we have various terms that anthropologists use from these gigantic monster forms that we have records of even in China in the Far East.
7: The ancient tablets such as the legend of Atana discuss how there was this rivalry or some kind of a, a fight going on between this serpent like being with an eagle like being and in that time period many have speculated that there were influences of a reptilian like being in our genetics and in our story from the very beginning yep. and some have so if speculated, we get uh, looking the reptilian the part of, of our brain this war in heaven of these different interdimensional or extraterrestrial like beings that there was a type of reptilian that was part of this war over our species and over
3: our future. Aside from these historic references, what we know about reptilian beings comes from a variety of researchers. From academics and hypnotherapists, to those who remote view, as well as others who claim to have direct contacts, consensus is that reptilian beings are an ancient and controversial influence on humankind.
9: In my explorations of the reptilian species, through my own memories and experiences, as well as astral current experiences, there are many different types. Some are more lizard-like features and very human-like bodies. Others are more lizard-like, with long tails, and others still have wings like dragons and are more massive and more powerful. I believe that those different races of reptilians are from some of the different hybrid lines coming from different types of dragons. They
8: have eye mechanisms or optical mechanisms in every part of their body. Secondly, they have multiple appendages that can be grown back and hence their thinking system is throughout their whole body frame. It's not localized in simply the head or the higher mind, as we would call it. Thirdly, they have an enormous sense of adaption to all types of environments. called them extremophiles in the sense they can go from the rigors of temperatures without violation of the life processes. And finally, they all seem to operate with great telepathic skills. But they can communicate with the humans, and humans can communicate with them on a certain frequency.
4: Remote viewing has been able to see what the reptilians actually can and can't do. The reptilians we have interacted with are highly telepathic, and they have extreme capabilities for neuro engagement. They are a warrior species. They fight. Moreover, they like to fight. Apparently, they were genetically engineered originally as a mercenary fighting force. They broke off, are now independent, but they kept that ability. They are highly intelligent and they have very low levels, if any, of empathy in terms of understanding, compassion, that and That describes Trump of pretty
0: well, don't it?
3: From his background working for the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, Richard Doty was exposed to intelligence documents that reference both insect-looking ETs as well as reptilian ones. If you read the, the,
10: the intelligence reports, their skin was almost reptilian. If you just looked at them from the chest up, you could say the head looked more humanoid, but the body didn't. And that's why I believe The DIA classified the reptilians and the praying mantises in separate categories, the quatiloids, because they came from the same planet, the same tissue samples, the same crafts, same technology. The humanoid-looking ones, maybe we call them reptilians, their hands were really thick digits, four
8: fingers.
0: There's another cast of reptilians that actually have more of a humanoid features so they don't have the long snout they're not what you call your stereotypical reptilians but they have some scales they look almost like humanoid hybrid reptilian beings currently on earth there's still reptilian factions that have control of the earth governments and the earth religious specters. these beings are maybe human in appearance but some of them are full reptilians and some of them are reptilian hybrids. When I talk about full reptilians that appear humans, I'm talking about shape-shifting reptilians. So reptilians have the ability to shape-shift to look like something that they're not. So they're masters of deception and they're masters of disguise. They do it energetically. It is actually kind of a physical energetic transformation where they put on a shell that looks kind of a human shell, but they can't sustain it for very long, so they do it for short periods of time.
3: The ability to change appearance or shape shift from reptilian to the human form is understood from a variety of perspectives. Whether it is mind control, about projection, technologies, or frequencies, they're all possible explanations offered by various researchers to make sense of the phenomenon. They do
4: not need to shape shift physically to look like a human, to impersonate a world leader or something like that. Their body does not morph. It looks the same as it always did. When they shape shift, what they're doing is using neural engagement capabilities to make the person that's in front of them see a different thing. So they can look to that person as a male, a female, a human, like normal. But the neural engagement is doing that. Their physical form is actually still the same.
3: According to researcher and author Lynn Castle, long ago, the Galactic Federation sent the Atlans a fierce group of humans from the Pleiades to Earth to confront the newest colony of the expansive and combative race of extraterrestrials known as the reptilians. The ensuing battle sank the continent of Lemuria and drove the reptilians underground beneath the Indian subcontinent as well as to Antarctica. Able to shapeshift to appear human, the reptilians then infiltrated the Atlantean civilization and created reptilian hybrids from the humans they captured. According to Kasten, this technique of infiltration and hybridization prior to an all-out attack has been the hallmark of reptilian conquest throughout the galaxy. They've been
10: visiting Earth for a long time. One thing we do know, they visited the entire Earth, Antarctica, uh, Russia, China, Europe, South America, remote islands. And so they've gathered information. They looked at what we've seen, what we've done. They've s- seen the state of the planet and they make their own opinion. We wish we knew their goal or their agenda, but they're a complicated race. These beings are living among us and they do influence
11: us day to day. And, of course, there are ones that visit us. So it's not a question of if they are here, they always have been here. And although they have colonized our entire solar system, they still consider the Earth their home. When it comes to the reptilians, I see their agenda as being really self-serving. If they make a treaty with us where we benefit from technology or free energy, some sort of medical breakthrough, it's because they want something out of the deal. Whether it's biological, experiments, trade, whatever it is, it's because they want something out of it. When we go back into our own human histories, we find that they have had treaties with various governments and groups on earth, including with Eisenhower in May 1954, where he had made a deal to not only advance us with a technological exchange so that they could open up various treaties and trade. And these groups have been manipulating us and working behind the scenes while monitoring our progress from a distance.
12: My clients have talked about there being an agenda and trade system between some group of reptilians and the government. So the reptilians would give the government certain technology and certain information and help with controlling the population. And in turn, the government would give the reptilians certain things and so certain groups work together like the cabal and certain groups of reptilians but in a sense there's nothing they can really do because as this earth continues on its trajectory all this negativity and polarity will just go to the wayside so this is just a last ditch effort to try to assert some control over the population before we reach a point in our evolution where this will no longer be possible
9: i think it is notable that many of the stories about the families in a so-called cabal who are controlling and manipulating the planet also tend to include stories about their obsessions with their bloodline and their own family. Ah! This could be a data point pointing to some of these reptilian dragon lords, essentially, attempting to essentially play out the same kind of control dramas and trauma that they've been playing out for thousands and thousands of years.
11: In my research, I've encountered that these are
9: typically attached
11: to people in places of power. Anything that is involved with control of the planet or how we perceive the reality around us. I've heard people speak
10: of these reptilians that are influencing our financial system, our banking system, and also even our military. I actually spoke to this former military officer. He was retired. He's a very knowledgeable man. He talked about ETs have penetrated Pentagon. They take on appearances of high ranking officials. I've heard all that, but officially I know nothing of it. I've never heard anybody within a talk about it or worry about it. There's safeguards built in our security system in the United States. And I can't go into great detail if you still have classified, but there are safeguards to prevent somebody taking on appearance or aliens trying to get in. Maybe they were smart enough to bypass
9: all that stuff, I don't know, but I think the Pentagon could defend themselves against that. Many of the fears of reptilians that we see here on Earth and our terror about our planet being taken over, I personally believe are residual trauma patterns from a huge galactic war that happened a long, long time ago. And we still feel that, those of us that were part of that galactic war, incarnated as different species around the galaxy, but here we all are, here on Earth, dealing with the same intense control structures as were being implemented in violent ways in this galactic war. And so we fear the loss of our sovereignty. We fear the loss of the capacity to actually be stewards of our planet. We fear that we're going to lose our planet because there were peoples that lost entire worlds in that war.
3: If reptilian extraterrestrials have inhabited Earth for thousands of years, are they content to live in the shadows, obscuring their influence Do not stand from the in the shadow of Or will their presence become more obvious?
7: One of the alternative concepts that has come out of looking at these reptilian-like serpent beings that is very interesting to me as a researcher is this idea that they may exist in a realm of reality that's beyond us, in a place that some may not fully understand. And this concept comes back into how humans create our own reality here. And the power of consciousness has the ability to literally create another type of spiritual being that is known as a tulpa. Now, this being has been speculative as feeding off of negative energy and fear, as creating and giving it the energy to exist. And if that's true, it would make sense that with all the war and the conflict, and all the hatred and fear that's constantly pushed into our society, perhaps they're almost trying to fuel their own existence through us keeping them alive as this being that exists in another realm of reality. Through this tool like type of creature.
3: If this is so, how would that play out in our world?
7: The
4: reptilians cause a crisis. That's their pattern. They create a crisis, and then they come in and say, that's terrible, how did that happen? As if they don't know. They were the ones who did it in the first place. But they don't tell the people. And then they say, well, we can take care of it for you, but sign here. Now, the reason they do that is there's another group that's very active in the solar system that we call the galactic federation world which is very positively oriented the trouble with them is that they're really hung up on this thing of non-interference with respect to free will so if americans sign an agreement with free will allowing reptilians to have a large underground city presence under for example area 51 which we did a huge study on area 51 The Galactic Federation of Worlds will say, they did it themselves, we can't interfere, we can't interfere with their free will. So the reptilians are very careful about not inviting intervention with the Galactic Federation of Worlds. They would lose because the Galactic Federation of Worlds has a huge presence in the solar system. In terms of the overall galaxy, the Galactic Federation of Worlds is not strong enough to knock out the reptilian presence in the galaxy. But in this solar system area, their presence is so heavy, they would win. And the reptilians realize that they have to play off the Galactic Federation of Worlds, and they do that. So whenever you've seen crisis after crisis after crisis, on Earth, we have found that there's reptilians behind almost every one of those things. And if that's true, it would help explain why there's so much of this evil that still exists in our world.
7: It does make sense that it connects back from somewhere else that's controlling through fear and opposition and war and conflict. And it's quite possible that the reptilians are playing one of those roles in influencing high-ranking military officials and those who rule our world from the shadows.
3: Researchers have suggested that there is ancient technology installed that some reptilian beings use to control the human population at large if this is so how does it work and to what
0: end so there is a quarantine around planet earth that's benevolent that's you know implemented by the galactic federation but there's also a false matrix construct that is 3d in nature that the reptilians keep a lot of humans trapped in believing that they're small, that they're disempowered, that they're ordinary, that they'll never amount to anything. So a matrix is kind of an AI that is artificially created, that looks like reality, but is actually kind of a false holographic reality.
13: So the situation with a quarantine that's been put over the planet Earth, you can see it from two different perspectives. The one perspective comes from a higher realm of frequencies and the time and inside of this you know, illusion that we all experienced all together. Communicating with being six, they said that there was a situation where higher-frequential beings interacted and influenced the situation on planet Earth too much, which made the evolution and the existence of life pretty much impossible. So, very simply put, if humanity has the chance to utilize their biological bodies and to utilize their dualistic way of perceiving reality, then they can grow from that. But if you have a situation where all higher frequential existence, you know, oppose their own energies and everything onto Earth, then no one on Earth would be able to freely and independently grow. So, what they did, and they meaning higher frequential beings, being six, if you want to name it, they had an embargo, a frequential embargo surrounding Earth. Meaning, this planet, this planetary life sphere that we are on right now, is only capable of displaying life forms and data that comes from level one, two, three, and four consciousness, but it's not capable of receiving direct influence from level six onwards, like five, six, and seven, and that's you know, is the chance, the opportunity that uh, life on this planet needed in order to grow individually. That being said, the Earth is now heading towards a situation in the universe where higher frequencies are allowed, and directly influencing this planet and its vibrational field, which makes it possible for having direct influences by higher frequencies in the upcoming time.
6: You have to realize that planet Earth has a sort of energy field, just like your body has an energy field. The planet has this field that is a geometric web of networks, a network of nodes, if you will. This is what gives us the illusion, the experience of time-space, meaning we're moving through linear time and through linear space. And so what happens is that that energy field, that structure around the planet is coherent with the physical brain, meaning we are experiencing time-space in our brain because of that structure. If you tamper with that structure, you're literally tampering with the human brain. If you want to choke, a species that's living on a planet, all you have to do is block these nodes around the planet creating a sort of a frequency structure that wraps around the planet in such a way that you are now bombarding this species with a specific frequency that is helpful or harmful or what have you.
7: Now one of the speculations that's come out of that with researchers is when we look at Earth Now it seems to be trapped in this lower vibrational frequency of consciousness, where people are really kept in this lower state and where we almost have to break out of that state by following certain teachings and certain ancient wisdom. A lot of people have speculated that the moon plays a role in keeping us in that lower state of consciousness by having a certain vibrational frequency on the earth. Now, the way that this can play into the idea of reptilians is that if our planet is being controlled to keep us in lower states of consciousness and energy, then the idea is that the moon has a certain resonant frequency that's trying to keep us in that permanently so that we can't break out and the truth. But perhaps Duke. that even plays a role in the idea that we can't see these higher spectrums of light to even see these hidden beings in the shadows and these shapeshifters like it's described in some text. And so perhaps the reptilians and others are playing a role in this illusion of reality that we exist
3: in. According to some theorists, since ancient times when reptilian aliens first arrived on Earth, they've been merging with humans through the manipulation of DNA, as well as interbreeding with the human population. The goal of this process was to gain control of the world by obtaining positions of power and influence, like royalty politicians, and popular entertainers and influencers. If this is true, how likely is it that reptilians will succeed? The Galactic
12: Federation continuously monitors different reptilian agendas to make sure they don't come and physically inhabit the planet, because some reptilian agendas would be to overtake humanity, so they're being heavily monitored. They're not allowed to physically inhabit this planet. However, they can assert their control from afar through the use of human fear. The Galactic Federation and certain reptilians are at war with one another, but the Galactic Federation as a whole protects the humans so they can have this earthly experience.
0: My understanding is there's more and more people awakening nowadays. There's more and more people that are seeing through the deception. Once people are able to break themselves out of this matrix that is created by these reptilian beings, they will find that their lives will get significantly better. That they will feel more control over what happens to them, where they're able to create their own realities. They're able to create. 4d and 5d realities as opposed to being stuck in a matrix that's not even real and at that point we will take our place as a member of the galactic federation and become part of the greater galactic family which was always our destiny
11: we're advancing as a species and i believe that their influence is becoming less and less all the time as this embargo has been lifted other more benevolent groups are getting involved, and we are advancing. So I don't believe that they will continue to have the same role that they did in the past with our development.
8: We have to learn as we become pioneers in space, as we become the new atoms of Eves to go into other solar systems. We must be psychologically, as well as zoologically, prepared to handle the whole spectrum of life, to respect where we can and communicate with the other life forms understanding that ultimately it is the divine intelligence that provides the ways and the means if necessary to bring us from these situations of planetary as well as human change into new life
3: if we consider how far back reptilians and other extraterrestrials have been influencing humankind the complexity of how that manifests makes it a challenge to truly grasp. As we look to the near future, will humanity have the strength to emerge as sovereign beings and overcome the limitations imposed on us since the dawn of our species? Join us next time when we discuss another species, the mantle.
0: <clears throat> that was great, might need to hear it another time, actually, but you can just rewind. Do not stand in the shadow, oh oh, do not stand in the shadow, in the shadow, do not stand in the shadow.
3: of insect-like beings helping humanity during times of cataclysms can be found throughout the ancient world. Often referred to as mantis or mantids, insectoids, or even ant people, their influence can still be felt today. Thousands of contactees claiming to have been aboard extraterrestrial spacecraft recount mantis-looking beings who seem to have a vested interest in our evolutionary development. If this is so, who are these insectoids that work in the shadows? And what is their influence upon humanity and our future?
0: Do not stand in shadow, Uh-oh. We see representations of insectoids throughout Earth's history particularly with the Egyptian culture. There was other depictions of insectoid beings in some of the Mayan cultures, with some of the cultures that we see out of Africa. So I think they were, at times, teachers to humanity. And that's why these beings are currently being depicted throughout Earth's history. There was depictions of insectoid beings even within the Native American cultures particularly the ant people
14: we know about the ant people helping the Native American people from the oral stories of the Zuni and the Hopi people as well as from the petroglyphic carvings that we find in northern Arizona showing us depictions of these insectoid looking people that are the ant people thousands of years ago earth was facing a very major cataclysm that was threatening to destroy all of life on the surface of the planet as this cataclysm was getting underway the ant people came out from under the surface of the earth and ushered humanity into these underground caverns and cared for humanity while the surface of the earth was just being devastated and there they stayed for generations after the cataclysm had passed, humanity was led back up to the surface, and these ant people were instrumental in helping the humans learn how to replant foods, how to go back into the agricultural communities so that they could survive very well on the
15: surface of the planet. The heteroglyphs on the walls where ant people have been described in the south, in Mexico, and various areas, those people referred to, I believe, were the small grazers or the medium-sized grazers because they had the long spindly arms, the big heads and so forth. And so they got the idea that the only thing they could link them to or talk about in a description that they knew was the ants. There's also the possibility that some of those that are termed ant people could be from inner earth. There is definitely a group of different alien species on inner earth. They kind of look like ant people. They live in and out where the poles have openings. So there's the possibility of both of those being, you know, classified as ant people.
3: According to one nature photographer and art historian, there is a cliff sculpture in Colorado that commemorates when the ant people rescued Native Americans from two separate cataclysms thousands of years ago. While historical lore describe ant or mantis-looking beings inhabiting inner earth, what do we know about their galactic origins?
14: Where do these mantis beings come from? That's still kind of a mystery. We don't know if they've got a home world or if they're scattered throughout the cosmos in various home worlds. There are reports that they do have some bases here in our solar system, you know, little planetoids or even on Mars, different locations.
4: We have only interacted with the insectoids in a few locations on ships and on the surface of Mars. You can assume that they have places they come from that are all over. It eventually becomes difficult for us to say, they come from a planet. The ones that are negatively oriented are almost entirely seen on ships. And we don't really see them running around some other place, having societies. We don't see anything like that. We see them doing jobs on ships. That's it. The ones that are free, the good ones, we see on the surface of some planets, such as Mars.
0: The Mantis beings are a physicality type that is seen in variations of forms throughout our universe and our galaxy. My understanding is they actually originated from a different universe, but have settled here in our universe. They were the beings that resided in the star system of Antares. They were considered to be the gatekeepers of the Antarian Stargate. There was a reason why they had to oversee this Stargate, because souls were allowed to pass through from Andromeda Galaxy, but they were not allowed to leave the Milky Way Galaxy. Because once you made that decision, to become part of the Milky Way experience. You
2: had to make a commitment to be here for a while. So what's known from contactees is that they come from Orion, Andromeda, and way far out into the galaxies and beyond into realms and worlds. They are a matriarchal society where the females rule but everyone is still equal they are so advanced in their consciousness moving up the dimensions that they even have these high temples of learning and spiral learning where they can invite an individual or. A planetary consciousness that's ready to move into their next realm, to ascend.
3: Mantis beings are referred to as insectoids by humans. But that is simply a classification we've created, limited by our current knowledge of Earth species. According to eyewitness accounts, Mantis beings take on a wide range of appearances. Perhaps the most striking aspect of a mantis alien is its physical kinship with the praying mantis, the carnivorous and bipedal insect of its namesake.
14: A lot of what we got about mantis beings comes to us from eyewitness reports, people who have seen them, or various other situations as they come across these insectoid-looking beings. They all describe the same kind of thing, that they've got these elongated arms, extended skinny torsos, that they have some sort of a shiny exoskeleton, and a triangular-shaped head, sometimes with some proboscis poking out from their heads, which really gives us the impression that these look a lot like praying mantis. And sometimes these reports tell us that they have a cloak around them, like they have a dark gray cloak or a blue cloak. But they definitely have this elongated insectoid appearance about them.
13: Most of the descriptions I've seen has proboscis, which is like what an insect has is this sort of tongue and projection of its mouth cavity. And it seems to fit the perfect description of what a praying mantis should be, even down to a point where its hands are actually bent in that position.
2: The mantis beings have three-pronged hands, so it's sort of like three prongs that go down like this. Their feet have sort of a suction cup feeling, so when they walk, they can have a stability. On their crafts, it is said that everything is run telepathically through them.
0: Insectoids as a whole, mostly follow the mantis appearance, but there's varying sizes. There are some that are very, very large, like the Ontarian insectoids were very large beings. They were 15 to 20 feet tall. There are others that were the technicians that work with the gray aliens, maybe some of the insectoids that we saw in Orion, that were more closer to human height. And I think that's just a variation where, depending on which star systems or which locations that they came from, it was kind of just a natural evolution of height. There are different types of insectoid beings. I would say the mantis is the most prominent one, but there's also beetle-like looking beings. There's just variations of insectoid beings, just like there are variations of insects on planet Earth.
10: Regarding different alien AT races, praying manuses are placed in aquatiloids category within the Defense Intelligence Agency. They're genetically engineered, and one particular type looks like a praying manis. The larger praying is five or six foot tall, and the second type is more humanoid. Now, when we say humanoid, we're not talking about human looking thicker skin, a
4: more structured-looking head. There's two basic types, the hostile and the friendly. The hostile are essentially a slave race to another group of extraterrestrials called the reptilians. In terms of the hostile groups, the reptilians are at the top. And all groups below that, they manipulate in some way, direct or indirect, and they're essentially all slaves of that higher reptilian source. The good mantis beings are not slaves. They are not controlled by the reptilians and they have an independent orientation.
3: Despite their daunting outer appearance, many researchers report that encounters with mantis beings have been, for the most part, positive.
4: First of all, they're totally sentient. And like almost everybody else in the galaxy, Their communicative capabilities are almost entirely telepathic. So they don't use a mouth like we use to vibrate air to make sounds that produce things. And if you get a good one and they're interested in communicating with you and you're physically there, they often put like pincers up against your head and they bring themselves close and they go into your head that way. And they can go through your head like a Rolodex. And often when they communicate with you, they're trying to sort out what kind of person you are to have a nice communication. So if you're a hostile to them, it may not fare too well, but if you're friendly to them, they'll have a conversation. Mantis
2: beings are the most enigmatic beings of all of them. I have talked with many researchers just to see if we could find anybody that has had experiences with them. Usually somebody would have at least one experience with a mantis being, which was always positive.
15: I believe that the mantids are very empathic. They are loving, they are caring. And that tends to be, for the most part, what is experienced. I believe that the idea that the mantids are confrontational or negative or anything, most of the time extends. From the fact that they look so scary, they look so daunting, and we immediately imply, oh my God, if you look like that, you've got to be mean. And that, that's not necessarily the case. A lot of the reports come back
14: that these beings have a good sense of humor, that there is a lighter disposition to them. They're a bit friendlier, and they're kind of fun to be around, despite initially being off put by their scary appearance. One of the stories we have about interaction comes to us from Pete Peterson when he was working in some of the secret programs. He talked about interacting with mantis-type beings in some of the underground military bases and in the programs that he works with. One of the stories he tells is when they were all sitting around the eating table at the mess hall and the mantis beings were making fun of the way humans were eating because to them the way we eat is a little disgusting and a little bit weird. But he said that they were cracking jokes all the time and that they were having just a lot of fun and were just a joy to be around the entire time. For me,
16: because I felt secure with the people I was with, then I felt secure. So it wasn't a fright. I didn't think the thing was gonna turn around and eat me. But I had wonderment. It looked like it was an insect that was all structured, you know, two feet, two legs, two arms, two hands. Two eyes and a nose, then a mouth, mandible, you know, chin and ears. Didn't have long antennas, but it had little balls on stubs. stub. I noticed that the skin scraped together and it sounded like fingernail files. It looked like it may have come from a praying man. It spoke like it had horny plates and things like that that it moved around to make the distance and stuff like that, it didn't sound like it was coming through a soft tissue mouth. It spoke English, and uh, some speak, and some just talk to you in your head. It's like you know what they're thinking, and they know what you're thinking.
3: In the 1970s, the United States Air Force had an encounter with a craft piloted by a mantis-like being that was taken into custody. According to retired Air Force Office of Special Investigations agent Richard Doty, classified documents that he was privy to describe this event.
10: Quite the Quattroide craft was flying in Nevada. This was in the early 70s. It crashed because it was shot at by an Air Force jet. An F-4 jet flying out of Nellis Air Force Base encountered it. Jet didn't have a weapon system on. Another jet was launched from Nellis Air Force Base, chased this craft. There was hostile acts presented against the Air Force aircraft, and the Air Force jet fired a side air missile. It struck it, and it crashed. There were three Quattaloids in the craft, and one of them died, two of them were alive. When the military personnel recovered the wreckage, these two Quattiloites already had some kind of environmental suit on them. And so they were taken out of the craft. They were detained by military police and they were taken to this containment area. Of course, we obviously did a lot of analysis on the dead one, determining its structure. Entirely different anatomy wise, biologically wise. They're all different than any of the even and Napaloids. But their brain was enormously more advanced than anything we'd ever seen. It had lobes and other things that we just couldn't understand. Everything was connected. They took apart the nerve fibers. We call them nerves. Everything was controlled by the brain. They didn't have a central nervous system. They didn't have a backbone, so to speak. They had a bony structure something different than ours. Their eyes were extremely more advanced. They had almost three sets of eyeballs. They're the ones that could feed themselves. They had little pouches on their side and they produced a ball or something and they could eat it and keep themselves sustained. The craft that was shot down over Nevada was 100 foot. It was not exactly saucer shaped, but pretty close to it. It was very tall, probably 30 or 40 feet. The interior craft was extremely complicated. They controlled everything by their hands. And there was something else that they'd placed over their head, as if maybe their brain was also controlling something. One of the things that was really unique about this craft this blue fluid circulated all over the craft, tubular lines, tubets, I think they call them. And it all centered in the bottom of the craft where the propulsion system was. So when the propulsion system was activated, this bluish fluid would circulate all over the interior walls of the craft. Now, I don't know that we determined whether it was maybe something to do with cooling Maybe assisted them in, in stabilizing the craft. I don't know.
3: In addition to government encounters with mantis-like beings and their crafts, there are people worldwide who claim to have had direct contact with the mantis species when taken aboard their spacecrafts. One of the most common revelations about the mantis beings is that they appear to be working closely with the extraterrestrials known as the Greys.
14: The reports of how people would have interacted with the Mantis beings comes through these people on board a spacecraft with Gray Aliens, short Gray Aliens, seeming to do a bulk of the work where the Mantis type beings are the superiors, the bosses giving instructions and guiding the whole situation that's going on so of course the people when they're in this scenario they're a little bit afraid a little concerned for their own safety and what's going on then when the mantis bring themselves to the forefront and they're interacting they give like a sense of calm they convey a sense of peacefulness and letting them know that you're okay we're not here to harm you this is going to be all right And the mantis will employ the short grays to do that kind of grunt work, to do some of that base level foundation work that leaves them free and open to use their minds to connect at a higher level, do the higher level working. Now what we're seeing throughout the cosmos is that there are beings that operate on like the fifth or sixth density or even higher, and that they cannot work on the third density where most of humanity is. So they need to work with an intermediary species like the short grays, who can communicate to the fifth and sixth density beings but yet operate in the third density where we are. So that may be one of the biggest reasons why the mantis are using the short grays because their minds are too high of a level to directly interact with what needs to be done. The job is a breeding process,
4: a genetic engineering breeding process. Their ultimate goal is to have a population of extraterrestrials that we would call Esasani which are half gray and half human so those mantis beings their job is to get that group of people ready now that group of people was not designed to live someplace else they're designed to blend into human society so the control that's necessary is really oriented around getting the people who are being brought into the ships, through a physical examination. And then there is a large component of behavioral stuff. So once you have the Hesasani, half-gray, half-human beings there, they don't know how to survive on Earth. They don't know anything.
0: Mantis beings, I think they have their own agenda. I kind of see them more as neutral beings, where they have the
3: scientific yeah. interest in us. Contactees often report mantis beings conveying mental imagery of the destruction of planet Earth. To illustrate the positive-negative impact that our species could have upon the planet, Others have reported an increase in psychic abilities post-contact. Many experiencers claim that the mantis seem to possess the uncanny ability to put them at ease, offering telepathic communication to eliminate the fear of an encounter. Understanding the complexity of these communications is the challenge to those having a contact experience.
13: I think possibly they're there to physically invade your mind. And maybe they're specialists in that. So I would suggest that they actually are there for a purpose. They're not just there as an overseer, which is very hard to understand because people can't access that information or use it productively. So there's a very common experience where you get a download into your brain, but then you're not going to use it for any specific things.
10: They don't see humans. They see earth thinking and that's the main concept that we have to change they see a whole planet thinking something trying to figure out who the planet is who am i is asking the planet that's why we have so many cultures so many countries fighting each other it's like we are a schizophrenic teenager right now for the galaxy basically with too much hormones so they're just giving us space to figure out who we are, what do we want to be, when we grow up. So they are just guiding us, not trying to control us.
3: Based exclusively on the testimony from contactees,